from Good Travel and New Zealand Awaits, we're Josie Major and Debbie Clark. Welcome to Good Awaits, the Regenerative Tourism New Zealand podcast. Under the shadow of the global pandemic and climate crisis, tourism is facing enormous uncertainty and returning to business as usual is no longer an option. Our people and planet are relying on us to reconnect and reimagine. The Good Awaits podcast is a platform for the collective discovery of a new way forward. It's great to have you join us on this journey. Kia ora, ko Debbie Tokuingoa. I'm Debbie Clark, founder and owner of New Zealand Awaits. Kia ora, ko Josie Tokuingoa. I'm Josie Major, New Zealand Programs Manager for Good Travel. Welcome back to Good Awaits. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Mandy Bell to the podcast. Mandy is the co-owner of Criffle Station, a 2,000 hectare deer farm in Wanaka. And she is a founding member, chairperson and program director of Why Wanaka. She is a successful entrepreneur and advisor with a doctorate in veterinary science and a strong background in farming, information systems, management and agribusiness. Criffle Station's diverse businesses have evolved to include an agritourism arm, including events in the 1940s woolshed and stunning stone hut terrace, accommodation in the authentic farm cottages, and behind-the-gate experiences designed around the themes of taste, learn, or discover. It is Mandy's belief that it is necessary to understand what we know, what we don't know, and the gaps in the science and data before working with relevant stakeholders to create a roadmap to deliver on the long-term vision. She brings a nature-based solutions mindset, a whole-of-community approach, and a passion for innovative future thinking which is demonstrated through her work nationally and locally. It was wonderful to have Mandy on the podcast. She talked a lot about the ways that we can work across sectors and the opportunities for tourism when we look beyond our own industry. So we hope you find this episode enlivening and that it sparks conversations for you and your community. We invite you to consciously listen and engage with what resonates with you. Kia Mandy. It's fantastic to have you on the podcast with us today. Yeah, good morning, Debbie. It's lovely. Looking forward to having a, a great discussion. So we're starting every episode of our podcast. This is a regenerative tourism podcast. We're starting every episode with a chat about a memorable, memorable travel experience or an early travel experience that you've had that was impactful in some way. Yep. So look, um, Thinking about that, um, there's two things that come to mind immediately. One, um, within New Zealand, I grew up um, in rural New Zealand in mid-Canterbury, and we used to holiday down here in Wanaka, which is where I now am fortunate enough to live. But we used to um, jump in the car, dusty, hot roads, and drive a very long way from mid-Canterbury, um, Mount Summers, through to Wanaka. And then we'd be boating on the water, we'd be up the rivers, on the lakes, swimming, um, water skiing, camping. So that was really special. And um, I look back now, I've come, I haven't gone very far, um, but that fresh water and the the magic of Wanaka um, never left. And then the other one, um, if I if I head off overseas, when I was travelling um, post university, very clear picture in my mind of a the Delta north of um, Zim, um, north of Harare, travelling about four hours north and came to this um, top of the this basin in effect and looked out over it and it was it's just one of those places almost like you've been there before. So I had the most wonderful um, wonderful time in Zimbabwe, which ironically it was nature, um, animals, water, beautiful um, lake river. So those are those are two standouts for me. So what led you to your interest in sustainable or regenerative practices? Um, I think it's look right back from just what I you know talking about um, where, how I grew up. I grew up on a farm and grew up having holidays and, and magical places. So I think it's always been there that appreciation, there's probably two parts, appreciation for for the place, 
and in the natural environment but the other one the other thing which is is for me is just part of um, everything I do is taking a whole approach looking at things not um, in an ad hoc way stepping back and looking and with a big perspective where would we like to be where should we be are we in tune um, uh, with water environment animals people and so it's just part of it's just part of how I think. Um, so it's been here for a very long time, and I'm involved in, in, in a few different things. And it's there is that connection, that connection of one health, Maori aura, um, regenerative, nature-based solutions. There's a lot of different phrases that are um, all in the same basket for for. Um, for thinking about how we can look after our place and ourselves better and, and doing it in an enduring way. And you've more or less uh, answered my next question, which is is trying to describe for listeners or for people who are not really familiar with what a regenerative approach is. Um, but but you've touched on that just with what you said. But see if you can go a little deeper for us and how you would describe regenerative tourism. I mean, we'll get to talking about your projects, but just sort of as a framework for people. Um, regenerative tourism is, is looking at, again, things as a whole. Um, we, as tourism operators, and um, we are, we have businesses, we have staff, we have families, we need to earn an income, but we have to do that connected with the world and the environment. And I think also, um, talking about regenerative, I think it's I don't know whether it's easier or not, but um, if I put my mother's hat on and I'm sitting in the in the mother's chair and looking forward, and it's just it runs so deep. How can we leave this leave this in a better place? So so regenerative means um, adding value to everything that we do, being connected to everything that is around us. And I think it's not just environment. We tend to focus just on the environment, but it's people are as important the health of people, um, and there's a lot of hurt out there at the moment. So where does, you know, how can regenerative support people as well as in the envi- well as the environment, which then means we've got healthy, enduring businesses. It's very circular. Mm. Um, the, and, and also probably what I would say is regenerative, um, for me, it's part of, it's, it can, it's broader than regenerative. It's actually um, nature-based solutions is a term that's really resonating with me and regenerative is part of nature-based solutions. So that means that whatever industry you're in, um, tourism construction, what is the challenge and, and what is the solution based on nature? It can be small, it can be big. So it's taking, uh, taking that whole approach. Yeah, learning, learning from nature and looking at everything as a living system, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really speaks to our connection, you know, people's connection to nature because the solutions are nature-based, whether they're for the environment or for the people as well, right? Yeah, yeah, awesome. So we know you're you're based in in Wanaka and um, you're very involved in the community there. Could you talk to us a little bit about what your place means to you and the work that you do in stewarding that place? So. This place is pretty special and lots of places in New Zealand are special and I think it comes back to your connection um, often in, in childhood. And I um, just sort of this place is, is an almost I just throw it in every pore of the body, in every cell, um, the water, the the natural, the naturalness. And I'm sitting here at the moment looking at, out at the most beautiful day, but it's snow on the hills, but it was a bit frosty this morning. So I, um, as a result of that and um, through life's journeys, I've ended up living with my family um, back here on a, on a farm just on the edge of Wanaka. When we first came to Wanaka with my family, um, I think there are a couple of thousand people here and we're now up at 12,000 and that wasn't so long ago. Um, my grandmother first, my grandparents first came here when there's only a couple of houses on the on the um, on the harbour side, the marina side of Wanaka, 
So my grandparents were involved in the community, um, part of the Anglican Church, and, and did a lot of plantings around the um, what is now the um, the waterfront and the playground, and that has sort of carried on. So it was a natural thing as your children are growing up to be part of the community. You're a small place, and if you um, want a hockey field, you have to get out there and, and as a community make it happen. Um, and in recent years, just as we've grown so much, I've realised the impact of, of the growth on our town. So it started probably in earnest in this um, regenerative space and understanding we've got so much growth um, in our tourism and, and um, visitors coming to, to Wanaka, but also in urban growth. And we had some rural changes. Um, they've been ongoing, but that's sort of reasonably static. So understanding that's how all having an impact and how do we retain a sense of community and the health of our place with this tremendous growth that was happening around us? Um, we wel you know, welcome people coming to, 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 to this place, but as, as you come into Wanaka, um, let's not talk about how we want this place to be, and it's the reason why we came. How do we, with our mother hats on and our father hats, in 50 years' time ensure that we've got that community and the health of our environment and where we live and work is um as as it is now and better. So that's sort of where it where it all started and I got involved in um with with others um thinking the same way and you find I think when like minds and, and good people get together things happen. And we started and the momentum really started from there. That's great. And uh, so so let's start talking about some of those projects that you're involved in, um, you know, more than just, you know, working to get the hockey field or whatever it is that you need for the kids or right. But in terms of other projects, there's because I know there's lots going on in Wanaka. We'll let you take the lead with what you think makes sense in terms of the projects that you're involved in and, and how they have relevance to the conversation we're having today. Okay, um, so there's, there's probably well, the two organisations I'm involved in. Um, they both were startups or five years ago. Um, Why Wanaka, which is Water Action Initiative Wanaka, W-A-I, and WAL, we are one, um, led by um, Monique Kelly, and I've been a um, trustee on, on that. So we've almost run in parallel. I talk about Why Wanaka. Um, it's quite a, um, a fun story, interesting. In some, in, in some of my work, I will be with groups around the country or with industry um, and increasingly talking in the agricultural sector about the environment and how we can do better. Coming back into Wanaka, um, I said to myself, what's happening here in Wanaka in this space? And this was back in 2016, so it discovered that we had 13 great research projects happening um, to look at uh, the health of the water and the land, um, but no, but they were quite disparate. Nobody was talking um, with each other. There were gaps, and there was um, there was overlap. So, coupled with the tremendous growth um, of you know urban and and in tourism, we thought we need to step back and as a um, community understand where we want to be. So 16 of us got together, which included um, Lake Wanaka Tourism, the CE, currency of that, the councils, regional and local scientists, the fishermen, the, um, swimmers, farmers, um, iwi, dock, um, fishing game, and we sat around and said, what, um, where, where should we be? Where could we be? Where do we want to be in 50 years? And then we backcast to um, that day in 2016, and over a couple of months, we really delved deep into a vision for Wanaka um, and then backcasting and creating a roadmap for what was what were the objectives that would enable us to be where we wanted to be in, in 50 years' time. Um, we dropped a one-page out of that after numerous discussions, and that has stood us in very good stead for the last five years as groups have come together, um, we've had a clear direction. We've had the science people alongside us and the councils sitting in the room side by side, tourism, farmers, everybody to work, done, um, work on those programs. And that initially was Enduring Water. 
but um, that was probably a little bit naive back then. You can't look at things in isolation. Um, there are so many connectors with water. Water is a connector that you need to think about the people in the um, the whole environment, the biodiversity, carbon, and a great example is if we're looking at water health and riparian plantings, if we're going to plant some trees, let's also be wearing a biodiversity hat and a greenhouse gas mitigations hat and tick those boxes all at the same time. So that's um, where Iwanaka um, started, a fantastic group of people, um, a lot of us still sitting around the table together, and that's really ramped in the last six months from two part-timers to 44 people, and um, in the last six months as a result of some support from the government on Jobs for Nature. And those, they're just outstanding people, quite a few that come out of tourism because of COVID. Um, and the diversity of thought, the opportunities that are coming from discussions, um, because these um, we're all out um, doing things, um, either in the office supporting or out in the land, um, working on private land with this particular um, funding support to control pests or to enable change and enable the farmers to move to measuring biodiversity. Um, so that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. Now that is connecting our uh, Lake Wanaka tourism. We're we working um, very openly and together to see what opportunities are there both ways um, in that amazing work that's happening out in the field. So um, so that's sort of um, that's been um, pretty exciting, and there's been a lot of learnings um, through that. A lot of it leveraging um, the primary sector. And I think that's been one of the key reasons why it's it's being able to grow. Um, there's there's you know often pain points when things happen happen quite quickly, but we've been able to leverage um, leverage the learnings and in particular the social science um, from the primary sector to to as we've gone through that change. So there's a lot here for us to unpack. I think um, that is a fantastic example for us for how a community can come together but there's still more before we sort of dig into some of those other things there's also the um the wow project as well so you talked a little bit about the uh the water action initiative so if you can talk a little bit about the wow project would be good too and then we can talk about uh some of the learnings that you know you just mentioned that might be helpful as well because what we'd like to try and paint a picture of is and you're an example in Wanaka of what you've done and then how can other communities sort of look to you as an example if they're looking for some kind of, you know, each community has to do their own thing in their own way, but hearing stories yes. and examples is so powerful, I think. Exactly. So while was is, um, is, is similar and as exciting, um, while we are one and it's, um, again, taking that whole approach and the wow is, um, aligns with the um, Murray Kupu Forest, and that symbolises that space between we have an ecological ceiling and then a social foundation, which is the community. And how do we how do we move together so that we that, that ecological ceiling is healthy and the, the community, the social foundation, and how do we um, transition from a probably and it's the same sort of thinking silos. Um, disparate monocultures into um, something that is self-sustaining and it's in a whole ecosystem approach. So while his uh, uh, utilizes and the 17 sustainable development goals run through everything that WAL does, um, there's a fantastic summit and that's one of the key um, key ways. Um, there's an event in October, and we're up to our fourth fourth event this coming year, where we look at those sustainable development goals, whether it's partnership, um, it, it's environmental health, and there's about six um, SDGs that cover that, um, fairness um, within a community, and education. So it takes all of those and is works with different sectors of the community, in particular um, construction and hospitality, um, single-use cuts came out of um, initial chats with um, the hospitality sector and said, what could we be doing there? 
So there's either direct projects that Wild gets involved with, like the summit, or is working with um, community uh, or, or other community groups to add um, information, knowledge, connection to take things take things forward there. So we really work um, very closely side by side, um, while and why. I think both those projects are amazing examples of how different sectors of the community to come can come together and to work on projects collectively. And we'd really love you to talk a little bit to, in particular, the intersection that you've seen between agriculture and like regenerative agriculture and this new wave of tourism and regenerative tourism and what some of the learnings are that we could that we could gain from yeah learning from each other from those two sectors yeah um i'd probably start with one of wow has three words which um translates into how to create change and i think the answer to what you the question you've just asked is is the how how do we take the vision of where we want to be and shift at scale and at pace so the three words that wow has is educate enable and inspire and whatever um, overarching strategy and direction that we're heading in we can those are the things we need to do to take people with us but we have to go deeper than just words and we have you know there's projects and specifics and I've um, I, and I think um, what's happened in the primary sector and in the primary sector is, is broader than agriculture it's horticulture it's it's marine um, um, marine life and, and, and produce and business that's happening there, wine, um, lots of good things. So what um, has happened over the last probably 10 years or so when, and what let's, let's say um, agriculture to be a little bit more specific because that's the space that I um, spend my, my um, time in, is we started from a point where if you took a bell curve, and in that bell curve, you've got innovators and early adopters are looking at the challenges that we had and saying, yes, we agree. There are things there that aren't good. And water was a, a serious touch point, but even broader, um, environmental challenges, um, food preferences and the way we eat and what we eat is changing, um, alternative meats. There was a whole lot of these sorts of just things were happening in the world. So to meet them, you need resilience. and you need to have an open mindset to the fact that change is a constant. So this was recognised, but you've only got a small part of your community, of um, the agriculture community, are actually on board. Others are going, oh, that's a load of rubbish. Or, um, you know, they're just, everybody's not going to get to there in the same space. And I see a lot of synergies with, with approaches and, and mindsets at the moment. So in agriculture, we started 10 years ago. Um, specifically, there was some support from the Ministry of the Primary Industries that came in with what we call primary growth partnership projects. And two of those projects, which I'm very familiar with, I, I um, kicked off one of them um, with others in the deer industry, and the same happened in, in um, what we call the red meat sector. These two large, significant funds, um, one was around 50 million or so, and the other one was around 13, 14 million. And both of those projects had a core, um, part of the, um, of the program, which was social science. And that social science unpacked through research and through doing and fine tuning as we were out there, um, taking that social science to actually understand where are our farmers at, what are the barriers to change, what are the challenges, and how can we best work with all of those business owners um, and their staff to actually create change and to support them. So supporting mindsets and resilience, because it was really tough. Some of the farmers, and I remember really clear, we had three droughts in a row, and that is depressing. Wake up every morning hoping it's going to rain and the grass is going to grow. Um, you're watching, you're having to feed out and the dollars are going out the door and um, you've got animal welfare that you'll be watching and you're, you know, just the stresses. So we've got COVID has hit tourism really hard, 
gain these learnings of um, how to support and take the social science. So what happened through that social science to go to what um, the outcomes were that's created, I believe, significant change. We've got between the Red Meat Profit Partnership and the Steer Industry Advanced Parties, we call it the Passion to Profit Program, we've got over 3,500 businesses in groups, social groups of seven to nine um, businesses in each group with very um, carefully structured support of how these groups work together. They have to create a roadmap. And it's not a roadmap that the industry or anyone else says to that group of people who have come together because they want to come together and they like we've been together. They haven't been, you know, said, you must get to the group. These, these, you know, this, this and this person. So they've come together. The question is, what's in it for me? But also alignment through careful structure to we need to be going in this direction, we are going in this direction, and this is a framework through which we can support and enable change. So I, um, and, and my line of, um, you know, what I spend my days doing in my work, I have never seen change like I've seen in these groups. One of the meetings, just as a slight divert, um, one of the meetings I went to, um, 10 farmers, and nine of them were not, not, didn't have KPIs or weren't measuring how heavy their stock were. Only one farmer had a set of scales. I went back three months later and all of them had spent $5,000 on some scales and had moved to the next phase of saying, what's your number? Why is your number there and not here? So the same analogy, we've got the groups formed um, and they have a facilitator. There's three parts to a successful group alongside the person that's in the group. They have a, a connector. And that connector is someone like a tourism RTA that is, is enabling and supporting those groups to get together, or a Y Wanaka, or a WOW, um, or, a, or an industry. The connector enables and, and helps them, these groups to meet. Then each group has a facilitator that's carefully trained. And it's a facilitator that doesn't teach um, and put all of their learnings onto the group. It's, they're facilitating the group to, to get to that space and to head in a direction. Um, and then the last fourth group of people is an expert. So the group can decide we would like to have an expert coming in, please. It's not somebody saying, hey, we think you should have this expert. It's actually what's relevant for what I'm doing. Um, so that has been a really structured framework, which concurrently there has been communications and engagement happening. There has been, um, we actually haven't got the tools for this specific thing, um, specific challenge. We need a solution. So let's actually create that. So bearing in mind, um, you know, the, the dollars that have gone into these programs are significant. But it's structured, it's strategic plans, there's programs that have been detailed, They've been resourced, and as an industry, um, the government, we, we I think we're about 50-50, so we have to, as businesses, we put dollars in, but then it comes into one large pot and it comes comes back out um, to support us to move as a whole. So look, that was quite a long, a long um, you know, chat, but I just see there's, there's such good frameworks in, out there that we could be using in tourism that is so so transferable i think that's that's something that we have talked about in uh, the back to life course as well was that you know we're not starting from scratch there are frameworks that are out there different communities are already doing different things whether it's you know at a community level or, or frameworks that exist nationally as well yeah sorry there's just a wonderful um set of, a conference um just recently and there was a wonderful quote there that i love that's just from what we're talking about, and um, it was from Dave Maslin, who's with the New Zealand Merino Company Agriculture, and it was, we celebrate activists because they highlight the challenges, but more so we celebrate our growers or our operators because they are the actionists um, implementing the change that we so desperately need. So these groups, individuals we actually create the action because as communities we actually are the um, we're proactive government is reactive 
and they will support where we show. So it's a top-down, bottoms-up approach that is needed, and, and we can do so much um, in being the actionists. Yeah, that's important, right, that we're not waiting for. I mean, because I think sometimes, you know, there's a feeling of, well, you know, the government's not doing enough, um, but we've had these conversations before with others that the government is going to react to where the groundswell is saying we need to go. And I think we're already seeing that in tourism, um, that that's starting to happen. So that's great to hear that you, there's so much already out there that we're not reinventing the wheel, that there's so much we can learn from what's already happening in the primary industries uh, sector. Yeah, I, think, I, I totally agree. And I, I think the critical is, I think, in, in tourism, we've got a lot of the parts. Um, we just need to pull it all together as a whole strategy for the industry, restructure the extra, um, the dollars are needed in that structure. We need to be real about um, what is needed to go forward. And I mentioned some numbers in the primary sector. Where are those figures in a very clear strategy with the, with the appropriate resourcing from industry operators and from government create a whole go forward and that the task force report has got some great um, direction in there. We need that overarching strategy and a commitment to restructure to support a go forward. And I do say at pace and at scale, we can't be talking, we can't be talking about this in five years time. We've got to go now and we can. It's doable. There's definitely urgency around this, I think, that many of us are feeling. So... I want to just dig in a little bit, you know, there's, there's, you had talked at the beginning about really believing in an ecosystem living systems approach, um, that self-sustaining, self-organizing, and that you're also talking about this, you know, overarching government support or industry support. So there has to be a balance, right? That still allows each community to be unique to themselves and what their needs are. Yep. Yes. Look, I absolutely, absolutely agree. And you know, and our business and our businesses are all different and they're in different parts of the country and the communities have different needs or different different challenge different challenges, different needs. So um, those solutions have to be based on what's appropriate for that community. But that doesn't mean that we um, couldn't have structure where each community is talking with each other and I call it vertical and horizontal um, communication. What are the great things that are happening up in your part of the world, Debbie, that we could learn from down here in Wanaka? And to make those, to move quickly, you actually have to put the communication structure in place because it has to be formalised because we all get busy um, in our day-to-day businesses but and also within our communities. So what good things and not so good things are happening that we should be put in sharing and again, that's where that overarching strategy comes in to enable um, those connections, not on a, on a voluntary basis, but on a really broad um, and a really broad framework. That means um, that those things start to happen, and get to, we do we do talk and share what's going on. Could you talk a little bit about some of the challenges of this work that you've seen? Because I think whether you're working on that community level or trying to work more vertically with the the national level. There's a lot of challenges in trying to bring all of these different people with different purposes and different intentions into the same conversation. Could you talk a little bit to some of the challenges that you've seen and, and maybe how you've overcome them? Let's say that's a really good question. What are the challenges and um, what might what challenges have we had? Um, in our community as we've gone through this process and also in industry. And I think the challenges are, um, are when you're pulling different groups together, smaller, small groups, bigger groups, individuals, everybody comes to the table with a different experiences. What we found is by having a really strong shared vision um, that that may have and, and then subsequently a roadmap to enable that shared vision that we agreed on, that was one of the key solutions to um, pulling everybody together. Now, with Waiwanaka, that took um, six months to get to that point, which was really important because we we looked at it from lots of different angles. Um, people had time to think, and um, somebody new coming in might cover old ground, but it actually was all really 
valuable. Um, the other the other couple of um, solutions to working through at pace as a community is to have um, everyone to come in very respectful of open mindsets and the variation um, that comes with that experiences. The last critical one I think is communication and that can be really um, taking up a lot of time but it's so important how uh, to take the time to communicate and to share and understand where somebody might be coming from. I could, um, one of my probably um, challenges for me is that I, I do um, do get quite optimistic and excited and think we can do this and it and that's where the diversity of thought and experience around the table is so important because um, you run alongside other people that can enable that um, vision of where we might be going. have got different skill sets and very complementary skill sets to um, to support us, support us, you know, to get through those, push through those challenges. Actually, the other interesting one too is I think don't give up if it doesn't work the first time. Sometimes it takes two or three goes. So so persevere. Sit back and and say what really went on there. There's often it's only one very small thing that might have um, stopped um, you know that project progressing. So it's to to get into the detail, to have respectful open mindsets, communicate strongly, and ensuring that there's a really strong shared vision and and, and roadmap. That's a great overview for us. That's wonderful. And I I think it's important because we're um, very often in the business of quick, quick, what's our next product or how can we do this or where's the, where's the checklist? Um, and you said it took you six months at least just to create your vision as a community. Yes, and that um, has stood us in such good stead probably with, with learnings now of what we've been through that could be pulled up, but it's just really important that every voice is heard and, and you're all sitting around the table with the determination that where we are right now is not where we want to be in 50 years. So let's um, figure this out together. Yeah, it's worthy of that time, right? Yeah, absolutely. So before we get to our last question, um, we'd like you to take this opportunity to tell us a little bit about your tourism involvement, because clearly you're very invested in the community, uh, in the primary industries, sector, agriculture. But tell us about your tourism business so listeners can learn a little bit about that. So we live here at Cripple Station, just um, near the airport in Wanaka, looking out over the over the basin. And we've had um, four part to, to tourism. Um, it was kicked off after I'd been in San Francisco and I saw challenges coming um, into agriculture. And I came home and said we were we needed to more strongly um, diversify with our businesses. And we were already hosting quite a few people um, coming to the region um, to learn about um, what was happening on the farm and hosting um, chefs from, from overseas. So we um, increased, I suppose, our capacity and um, we did a lot of learning. We were novices um, in effect in the tourism industry compared to a lot of others um, out there. And we had um, people coming to visit us, both um, on scheduled tours. We had a lot of um, bus groups coming through um, from around the world. In that space, um, we opened up um, three of our cottages and also had glamping. So we, um, just prior to COVID, we were heading um, in a really great direction and we had um, a you know, capability for up to 40, 45 people staying each night if we were full. So accommodation and tours. And we have a soft adventure business um, down there opposite the airport called Crossfire. Amazing staff um, looking after the visitors, um, golf, a golf range, mini putt, rifle shooting, archery, and um, clay bird. Um, and then the last one is um, events up at the Woolshed. Um, that was actually the first business we kicked off um, in hosting people to Criffle Station. Our farm manager um, was getting married, and he was going to get married in town. This is quite some time ago, and I said, gosh, you can't do that. We've got lots of lovely spots, so let's take the pens out. 
pull the pins out of the wool shed and get married. We needed to fix the flooring and then we'll put the pens back in. Well, we, we didn't get to put the pens back in because two of the guests said, oh, we'd like to get married. And um, two years ago, we were had 50 weddings and, and, and corporates all coming through the wool sheds. So, wow, that's a great story. I love that. Yeah. So um, we've had a lot of fun. We love some of the people we've met over the years. Just amazing. Um, and it never surprises us. Um, who might be travelling in a in a little camper van with their children? Um, um, what what sort of things they might be doing overseas? Oh, that's great! That's great. So we've been asking each of our guests on the podcast to talk to us about what their vision is for a regenerative tourism industry for Aotearoa. Uh, could you could you paint us a picture of what that might look like for you, Mandy? So. Um, for, for me, with tourism, it's when visitors um, come to New Zealand and to our community, coming to visit because of our place and the way we look after look after our place, they're coming to part of that, yes, to enjoy the incredible um, scenery and, and the places, but they're coming also because of the people and of our passion and also our knowledge of how we look after our place. And our place, when I say that, is very broad. It is um, the water, it is the environment, the land, and it's the people. Um, the other thing when I look at what a reimagined tourism industry looks like, it actually is also very connected um, to the whole community, and we're sharing our smarts, whether that is from the primary sector, um, whether it's from hospitality or, or whatever industry, we're all heading on this journey together. We have a very clear idea of the vision and really importantly, um, we don't, we, we can say what that looks like, but what I'm really interested in is what is, what does the what and the how look like? And I, I would like us to see before the end of the year, having absolute clarity on where is the support and the restructure. We need resources to go there. We're not going to wait on the government. We can do this. Um, we can do this and then the government can come and can support. So what does the restructure look like? Let's have an overarching strategy and be nimble as we communicate between communities and um, with each other so that we can shift to that um, healthy place at pace and at scale. And I, I really think it is very doable because um, we, we don't have to start from the beginning. We can leverage um, investments that have already been made in this space. Well, listeners, now we come to the harvest segment of our podcast where Josie and I have a conversation about the conversation we just had um, and reflect a little bit on some of the highlights of what our guests have talked about. So I think what was great about the conversation with Mandy was how she brings a perspective that is beyond just tourism because of her experience um, in agriculture and beyond. And so we just want to uh, have a look at some of that. She, her, her definition of regenerative thinking is that it really is part of a nature-based solution, that when we look at any challenge and we think of a solution, we have to do it from a nature-based approach and that that's a holistic approach. And for her, that means water, environment, animals, and people. So I love that thinking. That's, that's living systems thinking, right? And then she also spoke about how this comes from a very deep place for her as a mother, that she really wants to leave this place better, right? And that we have to understand that we are connected to everything around us um, and that in everything we do, we have to be asking the question, how are we adding value to everything, which I really loved. I love that framing of looking at it from a mother's perspective. I think Mandy also talked a lot about how the need to reinvent the wheel we don't need to start from scratch with this stuff and I think that's why it's so valuable having someone who bridges 
different industries like in the way that Mandy does uh, on this podcast because we've been talking about how we need this sort of systems level change and this is how we're going to get there, right? So she talked about the fact that we have models that we can look to and even the two projects that she talked about in this episode, the Why Water Action Initiative and the WOW Project, both of those are wonderful examples of this work mm-hmm. in action that we can look to. Uh, but in particular, given Mandy's experience, she talked about what we could learn from the primary sector, right, and how agriculture, you know, regenerative agriculture started in this work over 10 years ago and Mm. that there were, as there are now in tourism, innovators and early adopters who were trying to encourage this this open mindset and encouraging to adapt in order to thrive. Uh, And she even talks quite specifically about some of the structures within the primary industries, right? Yeah, the working groups, right? That was really uh, fascinating to hear about that each working, there was a certain project that had working groups of farmers and they had a connector, a facilitator, an expert if the group wanted it, and that she'd never seen change happen as rapidly as what happened when those farmers came together in those groups with that structure. And also the resilience that was built through, through those structures and through those, that interconnectedness, I think. She talked about a couple of examples of those collectives of people making it through tough times, droughts and, and whatever else um, because of their reliance on each other and their connections, mm-hmm. which is a good lesson we're for in tourism. Those, <laughs> I was just going to say that. We're in those times now, right, for tourism. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. We're in the, we're yeah. In the drought. <laughs> <laughs> we sure are. I think it's really exciting uh, what's happening in Mandy's region now. Um, I want to give a shout out to Lake Wanaka Tourism and Destination Queenstown. They're both regions that participated in the Back to Life course. Um, and they, along with the district council that they're part of, Queenstown Lake Districts Council, um, are using some government funding that they've received to move forward with a regenerative tourism plan, um, a plan to co-design another plan <laughs> with <laughs> local stakeholders um, by 2030. And we will put a link in the show notes to this. It's really exciting. They're trying to answer the big question, how can the visitor economy be in service of and add value to the district, its living ecosystems and its communities in a way that also delivers appropriate financial benefits and a thriving economy? Amazing. So that's so exciting to see two regions use the living systems language, the thriving, you know, thriving communities. Um, So congratulations, Lake Wanaka Tourism and Destination Queenstown. We are really excited that you uh, are taking this bold step and, you know, being another region, being two more regions that are leading the way in New Zealand. It's so inspiring seeing these these early adopters, these people that are just pushing, pushing it out Mm -hmm. and, you know, when we talked to Kristen Dunn in episode two, we talked about this, this kind of like, if you're going to go there, like it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people are, you know, the people that are doing that are the ones that are going to make this change. And and we're hearing again and again as well, this call for more communication structures, more connection between this work that's going on. And we can see that there's things starting to pop up in different regions and from particular operators but again and again, our, our guests are talking about this need for more communication and more coordination, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So I'd like to make an offering this week, which is a call to action, really, that we know that regenerative practice relies on us understanding our interconnectedness and forming connections and working together. And so we at Good Awaits want to help to serve that as much as we possibly can in any in any way that we can. So if you're still with us here in episode nine of Good Awaits, then you are a part of this trailblazing movement. And we would love to hear from you. We really want to connect with anyone who is wanting to be a part of this movement, um, we feel very strongly that by working together and coordinating, then we can 
really make a difference in this space. Yes, absolutely. Please do reach out to us and let's keep this movement going. So we would like to thank Mandy again for joining us on episode nine of Good Await. It was such an inspiring interview. I really got a lot of value out of this conversation and and I, I think there's a lot to think about from this episode about how we can keep this momentum going and work together effectively. So thanks for listening to this episode of Good Awaits. We hope you've enjoyed it. And if it's resonated with you, uh, as we have said multiple times through these episodes, please get in touch with us. We are on a movement and we need you to join us. Uh, We are a volunteer team. And if you find value in what we're doing, please go to our Give a Little page. You'll see it in the show notes um, and help us on this journey. If you do want to get in touch with us, you can find us on our website, which is goodawaits.podbean.com or we're on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, just search for Good Awaits. And you can also find our email addresses in the show notes of this episode. Our episodes come out every Wednesday morning. So subscribe on your podcast app. And please, if you are on Apple Podcasts, rate and review us as that helps us get found by others who want to join our movement. I want to say a huge thank you to our teams at both New Zealand Awaits and Good Travel for all of their support with this project. I want to say a special thank you to Erin Carnes from Good Travel for the graphic design and our beautiful logo and also to Clary Macklin for our music which we love and all the production help. And thanks also to you Debbie. Episode 9 and we're still here and still (laughs) loving it so thanks for everything. And back at you too, Josie. I'm so appreciative for everything you're doing to make this podcast a reality, especially the hours and hours of editing. So thank you so much. So thanks again, listeners, for listening to Good Awake. It's great to have you join us as we harvest the stories of our regenerative tourism journey in New Zealand. <laughs>